to today's episode of Berrien Tech Talks. Our guest today is Dave Tebow, Superintendent of Schools at Hamilton Community Schools. Join us as he talks about his views on assessments in today's classroom, the effective technology use, and his thoughts on one-to-one. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy the following conversation with Dave Tebow, Superintendent of Schools at Hamilton Community Schools. All right, today we'd like to welcome Dave Tebow. He's the superintendent of schools at Hamilton Community Schools. Uh, he's a multiple award winner. Uh, we've got the 2013 Tech Savvy Superintendent Award and the 2016 Making It Happen Award from McCall. So, hey, Dave, how's it going? It's going well. Thanks for having me. Um, well, we could have done without mentioning the awards, but, uh, you know, just, just part of a day's work. Well, that's the best part when you get awarded for the work that you do. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice every once in a while to get to get that to see that the work that we're doing makes sense for other people too. So hopefully, it's some external validation that that what we're trying to do and and the work that we're trying to put in place for for teachers and for kids is is working. So feel good about that stuff. That's a good thing. So, you know, you and I have known each other for a few years now. Uh, I think it goes back quite a few years at this point. Well, um, <laughs> what's what's your history in education so what what got you to where you're at now well I think if you go all the way back um you know as a student uh, it started I wasn't you know I wasn't great at school that was one of the things that I remember really well I didn't get good grades that was always tough um being the principal's kid and the super and eventually the superintendent's kid and you know I did well enough that I didn't throw up any red flags and I was always eligible for athletics and that kind of stuff, but you know, school wasn't great. It wasn't one of those things that I absolutely um, loved the way it worked. Um, so I didn't want to go into teaching right away. Um, ended up though, after doing some con- uh, some catering and concession work, getting my my degree finished up, and uh, I failed student teaching my first uh, shot out, and I. I I looked like uh, a teacher that my supervising teachers didn't want to see um, for probably a number of different reasons, but that's a long story to go into at another time. Um, But got uh, Diane Kingsley, phenomenal teacher in North Adams, uh, helped me out and got me um, rolling again and took care of business. Um, And then became a teacher, taught fourth and fifth grade for five years, did a loop, absolutely loved it. Um, and then decided that uh, after getting my master's in ed leadership that I wanted to look at a leadership role and uh, was lucky enough to do that Michigan Center. was a principal in a three, third through sixth grade building for a couple of years. Uh, and then my superintendent left and um, I, got, uh, I had a conversation with the Board of Education that asked me if I was interested. They knew that long term that was one of my goals. Um, it wasn't a goal as quickly as it happened, um, but I think we had had uh, done some good, laid some good, solid foundational work at Kiker Elementary in Michigan Center where I was. Um, and so I interviewed, I threw my hat in the ring, interviewed with all the candidates from all over the place. And uh, in the end, the board chose me. And so nine years later, um, I've been a superintendent for nine years, principal for two years, and was a classroom teacher for five. So I've actually been a superintendent longer than I was a principal and teacher, which is just weird and it's kind of scary to me right now. <laughs> Have you gotten past the part where you're figuring it out day by day? No, no, no. You just keep figuring it out day by day. I mean, the rules keep changing, right? What we know about kids keeps changing, and what we know about teaching and learning keeps changing. So, you know, it is it, I, for me, it's still a day by day thing. 
um, you know, I'm learning every day, hopefully right alongside my teachers and my, and my students. Absolutely. So you've now, I don't want to do some math, but nine and five and three, that adds up to a little bit of time. How have you seen, because this is the Barian Tech Talks, uh, how have you seen technology evolve throughout your career? Wow. Yeah, I, it's, it's, it's super involved. I remember, um, you know, as a teacher, you know, in college, we, you know, I got my first email address and it's like, yeah, okay, email, right? This is going to, where's this going? And then obviously, yeah, we've already surpassed that, you know. Um, but I think, you know, it started out, um, I started as a classroom teacher. I drove my tech director nuts. Um, you know, the first things that I kind of levered, like I took every old computer that we could get and I literally just wanted to connect to the internet so I could, you know, get groups and have my kids doing accelerated, taking accelerated reader quizzes and doing accelerated math, you know, online. So I was, I was trying to, to do group work and individualize stuff. Um, and I just kind of took, I, I remember I, I cobbled together five computers that sat at the back of the room and anytime he was going to get rid of something. I was like, Hey, Hey, can we just keep that? Can we clear it off and just give me the browser? Like, just get me an internet connection. We can do some stuff. Um, and then a buddy of mine and I, we actually started really early as a teacher. We realized, um, the power that, um, that data provided us. And so we were, we were, you know, we were, you know, using a data warehouse that we created on our own with the with the help of a buddy who worked for Nintendo, we made a Professor Brainiac game. It was we took all the questions and we tied them to um, benchmarks and standards, and uh, we tried to really start to track inside of this this game how, which kids were you know doing well with certain standards and benchmarks and which ones were struggling. Um, we we framed them all in meep like ways so that they could practice. I mean, I, it was never teach to the test, but darn it, if we were going to have to give a test, I wanted my kids to see the format of what it was. Um, and we, and really, we wanted to understand our kids at a deeper level. I wanted to know which kids understood which concepts, and so I could move them on, and then which kids were struggling, so I could go back and help them. Um, and you know, that was for me. That's the that's the promise of technology you know, from the beginning has been, has been for, you know, to make teachers lives easier when it comes to meeting the individual needs of kids. And so I think, you know, we've just seen the evolution of that from, from way back starting that where, um, you know, I loved the thing I loved about technology and using that with the, with the game that we kind of created was that it tightened the feedback loop. The kids didn't have to wait for me to, to grade a worksheet and tell them whether their thinking was correct or incorrect. They got that. They instant, they instantly knew what was going on, which is, you know, why kids like, I think, you know, if you look at the research, why they like video games so much every, you know, less than two seconds, they're getting feedback. Um, and the, the old model of everybody do this worksheet, turn it in, I'll grade it and give it back to you. Hopefully the next day, best case, you know, sometimes two, three days later, sometimes either, you know, and I was guilty of this too. You know, I found myself giving something back that I collected from them a week earlier going, why in the world am I even giving this back to them? They're not going to remember what they were thinking at the moment that they did this. You know, I'm, all I'm, this is really is, is a, it's sorting and separating kids. It's not, it's not, I'm not giving them any good feedback right now. You know, so I think tech, you know, as I watch that evolution, it just, it, it gives us the ability to personalize um, and individualize. And I think the most, again, I'll go back to the most powerful thing is tightening that feedback loop. Being able to give kids feedback in real time of what they understand or don't understand um, is really, really a powerful tool. Um, 
you know, the, the game has changed. Our system is built perfectly to sort and separate kids. It's built perfectly to be the industrial model and to batch kids the way, you know, it was intended to be back when we built it during the industrial evolution. That's not the reality anymore. You know, every single kid we have, you know, our, our slogan says all kids, right? All means all. That's every single one of them is, is moved and, and inspired and engaged to reach their potential. Um, and that's a big thing for us to get our heads around. But tech is, I mean, tech's that piece that, that you know, we're, I'm not a, I'm not an equal guy. I'm an equity guy, right? So tech's that tool now that can help it make things equitable um, for kids. Um, and so, you know, the evolution has been the mobility. Uh, that's just been huge. You know, I think we're on, we are on the steps of what I think is going to be the way for us to change from that single test score to a really a balanced assessment piece, a uh, balanced picture of what our kids look like when we really start to create portfolios that are a kind of a, you know, that running record of what kids have been able to do over time. And we've got the capability. It's just getting, you know, LMSs so that they're, they're easier. They can store more. We can warehouse. I mean, all of that's coming. And so I, I look forward to that. I think the other big piece is video. You know, we, we, we went from those big things that sat on our shoulders and we walked around like newscasters to, you know, I've got a GoPro <laughs> session that, you know, sits on a headband and I can walk around and video kids and they can show me what they've learned and narrate over top of it. And so, you know, we can demonstrate knowledge in so many ways now with technology that we never could before. Right. And so I think it, I think it opens up a lot of doors. It's a, it's frustrating at the same time because it opens so many doors. Like which ones do you pick? Right? How do you dis- how do you discern between what's good and what's bad? Yeah, you know, I I could see that as a struggle. Uh, so, what would be your advice for other administrators? Superintendent could be building principals. How do you discern what you think is going to be the most impactful on student learning? There are so many doors that open up when we say, "Yeah, we're going to integrate technology." What's your thoughts? Yeah, you know, I mean, I I would say start with what start with what saves you time. Um, Time is finite. We only have so much of it. The way the system's built, and until we can, and that's a that's a conversation for another podcast. You know, when we look at calendar and time, but in, right now it's fixed, and so anything that can help you leverage time, um, and anything that can help tighten your feedback loop to students, to me, is the are those most important things. And there's so many different ways to do it. I think, you know, one of the things that that um, you know I do a lot is I reach out to my PLN, you know, and I'm asking other people, hey, have you used this? Have you seen this app? Does this one, you know, what are the bugs, the glitches? Are there things that, you know, on the surface it looks great? Is this, does it perform like it looks? You know, and really, I'm lucky enough, um, you know, to pushing and trying to be as connected as I have been with other people that I've got a pretty good group that I can bounce things off of. So I, I tell, um, you know, principals and teachers, you can learn a lot. Get out on Twitter. You know, it's instant feedback for yourself. Get something out there. Ask the question. You know, okay, I'm looking to do X. What's the best way out there that people have found to do it? You know, in five minutes, you get a whole bunch of, you know, of, of pieces of feedback that can kind of guide that convert. You know, that next step for you. So, I think you, you know, I don't think there's one right or wrong way. Um, you know, think about what it is you want to do and then go find the thing that helps you do it. It's not about the thing. It's never been about the, you know, with tech, it's never been about the device or the app or the thing. Those things constantly change. 
So it's, what is it that I want to do? I want to make sure that I'm leveraging my time, number one. You know, number two, I want to make sure that I'm giving as, as my feedback loop to my students is as specific and as tight as it can be. And if there are tools out there to help do that, those are the things that I'm looking at right now. And I'm using that kind of as my filter um, to figure if there's a tool that could be the best tool in the world. If it takes me a ton of time to figure out how to use it, I'm going backwards versus going forwards. Now, some of that, you know, with new stuff, there's always going to be a learning curve. We're always going to have to learn how to use that stuff. But I'm trying to figure out which, you know, what's the right amount of time for you um, based on, you know, your, I guess, tech savviness or your, your comfort with tech. But then reach out to the people who, and that's the hard part, I guess, for teachers and, and principals too, is admitting we need help, right? Like, I you know I I need help I I admit it all the time I know if I if I'm looking for something and I'm trying to figure out the best way to do it I'm gonna ask for help and tell people I don't know somebody please show me, but sometimes we as teachers and principals have a hard time with that right that comes across as possibly a sign of weakness and I I look at it and I tell my teachers and our principals that's a sign of strength like as being able to say I don't know and I'm I'm looking and asking for some help that's a that's a huge sign of strength for me um, because things are going to continue to change. Absolutely. As you said earlier, technology continues to evolve. So it's building that culture where it's okay to say, I'm not sure. Right. I mean, you look at Moore's Law. I mean, just, I mean, and I, most people don't live in this world like that I might have, but you look at Moore's Law, you know, it says the computing power is going to change, you know, is going to double every two years. It's actually at about 18 months right now, right? So computing power doubles. So everything's going to get smaller, faster. Video's going to get, you know, more high def. I mean, VR and AI and all those things, man. I mean, I've, I've, I've been around places and thrown on, you know, uh, AI, you know, put on the Oculus Rift stuff. And I feel like I'm right in the middle of, you know, the space shuttle launching, you know, down in Cape Canaveral. And I mean, just the detail and amount of what you can see is amazing. You know, that's that equity piece, right? There are kids that are never going to be able to, we're not going to ever get them there. But if we can take them there in as close a, a reality as possible, now they're building schema and context to hang some of that next new learning on. Um, and that's, that's the piece that I love about what tech can do to provide some of that equity. Absolutely. I mean, I guess that's something we didn't really talk about. So I, th- let's just get a quick overview of the district. What, what's your breakdown? What's your demographics? Because when we get into what technology you have, people are going to say, oh, yeah, that's a perfect world. What's, what's your situation right now in Hamilton? Yeah, we're at about... 30% free and reduced. We're, you know, we don't have a lot of diversity in terms of the ethnicity that's um, here. We're a bedroom community for Holland, Zealand, Grand Rapids. Um, but when I got here five years ago, you know, we had a $1.6 million deficit. So we've been, we spent the last five and a half years um, getting creative and adding things at the same time we're reducing a budget. So for people to say, Hey, we, you know, you got to have all this money to do it. Nah, you don't have to have all that. And you need to be smart with it. You have to be stewards of the resources that you have. Um, but we also, you know, when you think about how we, how we have things, and this is, I don't know if it's going to be blasphemy on a tech podcast, but I'm not a one-to-one guy. Um, you know, I, I'm blasphemy. a, I'm, 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 and honestly, I'm past that. Like that's, I think that, that, that whole thing is a focus on the device and I don't want to focus on the device. I don't want to focus on the thing. One-to-one talks about a thing. 
um, I want toolkits for our for our teachers and our students. So you know we're building toward this bigger picture plan that allows every building and every classroom to access a toolkit of devices, of applications, of you know access to websites and and online subscriptions that they need. Um, and then basically the teacher has the ability to say, here's what, here are, here's the standard that I want to get my kids, you know, to mastery and application of which to what tools do I need along the way to get, get there. And maybe it's not the teacher making the decision. Maybe it's, you know, hopefully for where I want us to get it, it's the student understanding what they need and they have choice for what it is that they're going to use, whether that's, the the iPod that they bring or their the phone that they bring or you know the GoPro cameras that we have available the the high de- you know the nice quality microphones we have we've got desktops with a bunch of power that can do high def video and graphics and audio we've got laptops we've got Chromebooks we've got iPads you know we have a little bit of everything um, the goal is actually to be more like 1.3 to one you know so that every every student has a device should they need one. But then they also have access to a set of more specific tools. You know, if I want to go do create a, a quality video of my learning, I'm not going to use the camera on my MacBook. I'm not going to turn around and walk around with a camera pointing at things. I'm going to go, okay, what's the most high quality camera I have? Um, you know, so right now we're, you know, we've added some some nice um, DSL cameras that have recording on it. We've got, you know, these grow these these little you know, Hero 5 Session GoPros have got great quality um, and just are mobile as all get out. And so, you know, what is it that you're doing? Are you are you on site? Are you off site? Are you in a controlled environment where, you know, the microphone doesn't matter? Or do you need a really high quality one that you're going to capture everything and then you're going to get in the studio and take out all the background noise? What You know, all those different things. But that's stuff that, you know, kids, as they learn to do that, that's, that is as important as that process is as important as the content. I can go find the content. I can Google the content, but it's it's putting them in the position where they're using the tools at their disposal to show teachers this is what I can do. This is what I still need help with, you know. And and to be and getting to the point where we're all honest about where we are in that learning journey and using the tools that we have to to do that. So, you know, we we are not we're not uh, you know we're a we're a pretty well to do district. I mean, that's, and we're not hurting for things. We've got nice facilities. We've got nice stuff. Um, but at the same time, we don't have one-to-one devices. We're we're starting a um, a tech kind of visioning, strategic visioning, strategic design process. Um, and I'm getting ready to send out a meeting invite this week to business people, to teachers, to community members, to my board members. Um, uh, the big one that we've added that I don't know if a lot of people add are students. You know, and I'm we're bringing in middle school and high school kids. Um, and we're going to have them as a part of that because we want to have that student voice as a part of, okay, and what we're going to do is build a, a framework, a structure for decision-making around the purchase of apps, subscriptions, devices, whatever that is. And it's really going to be about pro- process, not about a thing. Um, and so it's we're going to use some design thinking to get everybody there and walk them through a process that we think is going to be pretty engaging and, and educational for everybody. But at the end, we want to build a framework that's flexible and can adjust as the technology adjusts around us. That's pretty progressive. 
Um, you know, one of the issues we hear a lot is about student access. You know, how do we make equitable student access? And a lot of districts go to one-to-one as that equitable piece. Well, if you don't fix it at, so yeah, you can go one-to-one, but my, then my question is, all right, everybody gets a device. Does everybody have access? Does everybody have internet access at home? Do they all have wireless access? I mean, and that's, you know, we're just starting to look into, even though we don't have a ton of free and reduced, we're looking into, you know, the, the federal program to get, to get a, you know, to get a Wi-Fi hotspot in the hand of all of our kids down the road so that we, when we do, if we get to that point, I, the last thing I want is to send home a device that doesn't have the capability when they get it home. And that, and so that's one of the things about Hamilton that probably is unique. Um, when you think about what we have is that we've got a district that, that does not have high speed internet across the district. Um, I literally am, I'm in the process of moving in internally inside of the district right now. And the house that I'm leaving, um, the, we had dial up at best. I mean, it was, the internet was so slow. You couldn't stream anything. I literally, there'd be times where I'd just look at my wife and say, I got to go in the office to finish this. I can't, I couldn't work from home sometimes because if I was downloading a big document or I needed to, to, you know, stream a video, I I could, it didn't happen. It just, it wasn't going to happen. So, um, you know, when the, when the tech savvy superintendent is living in a spot where, you know, we don't have good connectivity, that that just shows that that's an issue that needs to be addressed in in a lot of our communities, rural or urban. Um, but especially out here, you know, we're pretty rural, and there's some spots where there just isn't there, there's not fiber that runs there, and there isn't a good Wi-Fi connection, you know, other than you know bouncing it off a satellite and getting Directv or True <laughs> Blue or some Fusenet or something like that. Yeah. And those are getting better, but they still. Not at the not at the level of what we need them for, you know. If you're to to really say, "Hey, I'm working from here." Well, and I guess that's a question I had for you too. Is I knew you guys had issues with access, especially at home. How do you have your teachers do more online content or using an LMS when you have students who can't necessarily get to it at home? Yeah, and that's the problem that we've had right now. So really, we like we're handcuffed in that, in that we have to. We have to make it so it's accessible, you know, in any way and format. And we, you know, I, we did this back in, in Michigan Center. Dan Spencer, who, who is, you know, just a phenomenal teacher, he and I first started, we get, you know, I got him a cart of iPods back. Gosh, that would have been eight years ago, seven and a half years ago. And and he was you know, he had flipped his classroom, but we had, so we had bought him iPods so that he could send that home with kids who didn't have access. Right. So he posted stuff online. A lot of kids could access it through the computer and there on the internet at home. But if he didn't, we, we put things onto iPods. We had kids that were watching his flip lectures on the bus rides to and from practices or to events and different things. Um, we put it on flash drives so that they could take it home. I mean, we got to the point, I think he was at some one point, he was even burning things onto a DVD because the only thing that some kids had, well, we got a TV and a DVD player, Mr. Tebow. Okay, well, let's give it, let's put it in a format that they can take it home and they can watch that flip lesson. So, you know, there's a lot of creative workarounds and that we've had to put in place, but it's limited some of our teachers, right? So that that's that next step piece that we really have to take a look at. Um, and that's a community conversation, you know, and that's one that um, we're going to really have to work on the buy-in from everybody because in, uh, in this community too, there are, there are, and and for all the right reasons, and and sometimes not, 
there are parents that want to limit you know students access to the internet and part of it is because it's easier to just say no than to teach them how to use it in the right way and from you know we're a district that you know i've we've opened up a lot of stuff inside of you know our firewall we let things through that other districts don't and and my my stance on that has always been I would rather them make those mistakes under the caring tutelage and guidance of my teachers who are phenomenal than to have them go do it at McDonald's where there's free Wi-Fi and they're going to do something that they can't take back um, because they're going to because they're going to go figure out how to do it. And you can get free Wi-Fi in so many different places. I would rather that we're we are teaching them what it means, you know, to create that digital profile of themselves, that digital footprint that they're leaving everywhere they go. you know, so that's a but that's a community conversation because we're gonna we I wanna I wanna access I wanna you know, I wanna give access to some houses that don't have it and some of them don't want it and so I'm gonna have to be very intentional about that conversation um, to make sure that it goes well and it's embraced for all the right reasons and that we give the support to the parents that, that you know when they need it so because um, some of that stuff can can really get away and we're watching so many kids get lost in their devices and not have the ability to. You know, to have that good social, emotional conversation, that face-to-face conversation, because they can hide behind a keyboard or a screen. So we really have to do both of those things. So I, I think that's, as we talk about getting access, we also have to be careful um, and put that balance in there so the pendulum isn't swinging one way or the other. Absolutely. I, I was going to ask you, so you, I know you guys open social media. That is okay in district. That is a huge conversation still occurring amongst administration teams. How do you balance what you're expected to do for privacy and things along those lines with what you personally believe that teachers need to have more social media access, tell their story, things along those lines? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a behavioral conversation. We're still having it. You know, I mean, I've got teachers that would that would love it if I said, no devices, anytime, lock everything down. But that's the, that's the easy way, right? That's the black, that's, that's a black and white. Yes or no. We live in a world of gray. And so we've got to figure out how do we, how do we have the right conversations to, to let students know when is it appropriate for them to use and access that technology? And when is it appropriate for them not to, for them to be engaged face-to-face in a, in a partnership or in a collaborative group? Because you talk to businesses and what do our kids, what can our kids not do? They can't work in a group, right? And that's not getting any better because they all want to work alone. They can all sit in front of their single device and I can take care of me and I can connect with who I want to when I choose versus, Hey, I'm, this is the work environment that I'm in and I've got to figure out how to work with everybody. So it really is being very intentional. And, then, and it's the same conversation for teachers as it is for students. When is it the right time for you to be engaged in that tool and using that tool? And when is it the right time to be present? You know, I've, I struggled with that. It was, it was my, it's the message I delivered to my staff at the beginning of the year was that I was really going to try to be more present um, because of the distractibility and my, my chase that shiny object, you know, personality. Um, I've really had to say, look, I'm going to be present, which means, you know, I'm, my phone is face down when I'm in a meeting, my computer, as much as absolutely possible. If I, if, if I need it to do something and when we're in a meeting and I've got a task that I'm, I'm looking for something or I need to get something for the group, then I'm going to use that tool when I need it. But I'm not going to sit there in the meeting with my computer wide open. And when Johnny's talking, 
oh, this is the 30 seconds that I can respond to an email. Oh, wait, Johnny said something that I probably should have been paying attention to. You know, so we've, I, that's a, it's a behavioral thing for adults and for students. And we have to have that conversation. We have to find balance. It's a tool. It's a, they are phenomenal, phenomenal tools to help kids learn and teachers teach. But at the same time, they can be a huge distraction. They can be, they can waste time. They can, you know, they can be inefficient if, if our processes and use are inefficient. They can be seen as disrespectful. Um, as you know, we, so many kids don't look other kids or adults in the eye anymore, right? Because we're spending so much time looking down. Um, so we really have to have that balance, you know, but that doesn't mean take it away, right? So don't let the pendulum has swung to open it up. Every kid bring their own device. Every kid have a device. Let them do what they want. Give them flexibility. Okay, that pendulum swings way over here. Then the other side of the pendulum is nothing. Lock it down. They don't get it, right? And then we go backwards. Well, that neither one of those in my world is the right way to go. It's that sweet spot in the middle. Let's find that place where when it's appropriate, we use it as a tool for learning if you have free time and we said you get free time, you know, we can't then place a value judgment on that student's free time, right? We say, oh, well, you got free time. You should be reading a book. Well, if it's free time, if it's truly free time and you're telling them that, then get off of their free time. Let them figure it out. Now, we don't want them doing something dangerous or destructive. Well, obviously there's limits, but at the same time, we don't want to put our value judgment on what they should do with their free time. So, you know, give them that. And for the, for a lot of kids, that's where they want to, that's something that they want to do. And, but at the end of the day, we should be teaching them balance. Um, that's the big one for me. Absolutely. I'm with you on the balance piece. That's huge. I mean, we've got adults who need to learn that lesson. That's for sure. Oh, sure. Sure. I mean, I think I've, I think I know for a fact, there's been a couple of times that, you know, even my admin team has been uncomfortable. My computer's closed and theirs are open. And I've said to them, I'm not going to force you to do something, but I, this is what I, when I'm here with you, I'm going to do it this way, which then they kind of like, Oh shoot, maybe I shouldn't, you know, and some of them have closed it and they've engaged differently. Others have left it open and they're figuring stuff out. And I don't know. And I, maybe, maybe they're taking notes and it's productive. I'm not putting a judgment on it. I haven't slapped anybody's hand and I won't do that. But at the end of the day, you know, when we walk out of that meeting, I hope everybody was on the same page and they all took the same things away. If you could do that, with it being face to face and writing stuff down paper pencil or you know not you know or you could do it with your computer open taking notes okay that's that's a call for you i expect you as professionals to figure that one out um but i think we got to be careful how we model that um with our teachers and our teachers model that students and what we expect from students so it's a it's a conversation that's going to continue to evolve i don't you know i don't think there's a right answer i mean i like my answer it's my answer but um <laughs> you know i don't think there's a right answer i think at the end of the day um i go back to it's it's for me it's about balance it is about balance i would agree with that completely so i guess where i'm curious about all this now if i was to walk into hamilton school right now if i was to pick one of your schools and walk into a classroom what am i going to see in way of technology integration I think it depends. It depends on where that teacher is, um, what resources they have chosen to use to, to deliver that lesson. I think you'll come into some classrooms, you'll see um, iPads, you'll see iPad minis, and or you'll see Chromebooks. Um, I think you'll see a lot more Chromebooks than you'll see anything else right now. Um, I think we teachers are, are choosing that as a device that allows them to do a lot of different things. Um, 
we are we're just coming off of our first big cohort of uh, teachers trained in blended learning through a partnership with MVU. So little shout out to MVU um, and uh, their team. They've been great in, in, in coming in and providing professional development and, and doing a little pilot grant work with us. Um, and I think I hope I think we've delivered on our teacher end. Um, so we had 30 teachers that were trained. So you could walk into one of those 30 classrooms and, and there's a real good chance that you'll see, you know, a, instruction happening in a blended way so you might see a group of kids all watching a tutorial video you know on on something that they're working on and you might see another small group working on a task and then you'll see the teacher maybe shoulder to shoulder with a kid or two working on something specific whether that's remediation or enrichment who knows um but you really you'll see you'll see that happening um it'll look very different and i think it depends it really depends on what what you walk into um you know, which to me, I'm glad I can give you that answer. I, the answer I don't want to give is you'll walk in and you'll see 28 kids with their laptops open in every classroom you walk into. Is that the right thing to see? I don't know. I, I would say I'd, I'd find it hard to say you're, you're individualizing um, and differentiating um, if that's what you'd see. So I think you, you'd see a wide variety of tools depending on the, on the classroom, depending on the teacher's comfort, depending on the delivery style, depending on the standard that um, we're working on trying to teach. So um, it's going to look a little different, which I like. I, I think that that's, and I think I've got 2,700 kids. I've got 130 some teachers. I want to see some, I want to see diversity um, because at the end of the day, you know, I sometimes my teachers hear me say when I'm talking about, OK, recently we focused on blended learning. Well, you want every teacher to teach blended learning. I don't know that I want every teacher to teach that way. No. Do I want every single kid, my kid included and all their friends and all the kids that aren't their friends or everybody to walk through a system and to say that they've gotten quality direct instruction? Yes. Large group? Yes. Small group? Yes. Project-based, yes. Blended, yes. Online, yes. Experiential, yes. Like, yes. I want them all to have learned in all of those different delivery models so it's not just one. People sometimes are like, well, you think everybody should just do this. Nope. Nope. I, sh I don't. I think every kid should have exposure to learning in that way so that we figure out which we help them create that that kind of learning profile for themselves and then they know what tools they need when they need them and that way we're, we're we're leveraging our resources we're not wasting money buying things that sit and get dusty and don't get used you know we're putting things in front of kids that they're going to use because we taught them how to use a variety of different things and we taught them in which environments which ones work better and for some of them, we've given them the flexibility to say, hey, in this environment, watch what I can do with this. And they open our eyes to stuff and we go, oh, I never thought about doing it that way. How amazing is that? Look at what this kid just showed us, you know, versus, nope, I told you to do it this way. And that's the only way to do it. That, that model and mindset has got to be gone. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Now, is there the Dave Tebow line in the sand for minimum technology use with kids? I, you know, I, no, there's not a line in the sand. I, I think there's a, what are you, what are you using? How can we help you nominal? And they never used a piece of electronic technology, right? Like they, 
So at the end of the day, if you are getting to all of your kids and meeting their needs, there isn't a minimum that I can't put a minimum on that. I mean, it really is. Are you individualizing for kids and helping them reach their potential? If you are using a piece of technology, if you're using an app, if you're using a website subscription or something, great. If you're not, great. As long as at the end of the day, that kid has ownership of the content and the skills we want them to have ownership of, then I'm, I'm a happy guy. So there's no real need to, to, to have a line in the sand. Um, you know, I think there are some places and, you know, there are probably some teachers, I don't know them in my world, that they could be better if we put a line in the sand and said, you have to do this. But if the teacher doesn't want to do it, you know, then what happens is, is what happens in a lot of places. We go buy expensive devices, we put them in the hands of kids, and the teachers don't know how to use them or don't want to use them. And we've spent a lot of good resources on something that's not making an impact in student learning. So it's a difficult conversation to have, but I think it's one we have to have. And we as leaders have to be flexible. I would rather come at it from a servant mindset of, how can I help you? How can I help you add to your toolkit? Then, hey, you all have to, you have to all have this. And I need to see kids with, you know, uh, use of a Chromebook at least twice a day. You know, I, that I don't have that. Okay. So I, I heard you mention project-based learning earlier. I heard you mention a couple other different modalities and approaches. With the state of Michigan being very test focused, you know, when you listen to the news and you listen to what's going on, there's a lot of debate about the M step and the different assessment tools. How do you work those different modalities into daily practice while still thinking you're being marginally prepared or as mostly prepared as you can for the M step or whatever the assessment may be that is tied to your funding? Yeah, so this is going to be an unpopular or maybe popular answer, forget the test. I mean, like seriously, uh, at the end of the day, I have two kids. I've got an 11-year-old and a 9-year-old. And those two kids are so much more than a number. Um, I won't let them be distilled down to that single thing. Um, you know, high-stakes testing, um, you know, it's, it's, yes, we need to be accountable for what we're doing. 100%. There's, there, you know, there are billions of dollars spent on education, and we need to be accountable for the work that we do. But let's cut to the chase. That test is built to do one thing, and that's sort and separate. Um, it's, it's, to, it's to show the haves and the have-nots. It's, in my opinion, and you can play this wherever you want to play it, it's, it's a tool to privatize education. Um, and I think it's a load of crap. Um, I think we don't understand. No one's. We don't. We're not having good conversations about what those assessments are built to do, right? You've got an assessment that is now going to be used for teacher growth that wasn't built to show growth. So let's be honest about what we're building, what the test is built to do. You know, there there is a use for every single one of those tests, right? It's not high stakes. It shouldn't be to put pressure on teachers. Right? It shouldn't be to say, here's the bottom 5% and let's close those schools so that we can have another b bottom 5% again the next year and then close those schools again. There's always going to be a bottom 5% in that conversation. The, at the end of the day, you know, those test scores are one piece of a large balanced assessment puzzle. And we have to change the conversation. And the only way that happens is by teachers and superintendents and principals 
advocating for what that assessment and all of the other assessments are for. And the fact that we only waive one and say this is what makes or breaks a school district is, is to me, is asinine. The only, and the only way we change that system is for our collective voices to stand up and say we aren't opposed to accountability. We 100% we want to demonstrate growth. Let's make sure that we have multiple measures, that we have a, a myriad of numbers that we can look at as an aggregate to say, here's what this student looks like as a learner. Here's what they can do. Here's what they can't do. Here's where we're going to work with them next. And we use that to help them take the next step forward. That's a conversation education has not had. It's a conversation that we should have because we have the tools and the resources to paint a com comprehensive picture of what our kids can and can't do. The question is, do we have the skill and the will to get that done? It's, a, it's at our fingertips, it, but it changes the way that we do things, and we have to advocate for that differently. It's not enough for us to sit back and say, and so I say that, with, I say that to say, number one, I don't like the test. Number two, I refused to tell my teachers to teach to the test. Number three, I will never skirt accountability. And four, we have to, have to, have to talk about growth. So I don't like it, but I'm going to, in saying I don't like it, I'm going to give you a solution for what, it, what we could do not just sit here and say, oh, it's no fair and I don't lie, I hate it, da, 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 da. You're right, I don't, but I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you, I think I'm giving a, a, a picture of what is possible if we change the conversation. It's not that, that we say throw it out and don't, don't hold us accountable and don't talk to us about growth. We should 100%, we should, and the other problem is this all happened to us because we didn't lead with it. We've let this happen to us. We have not told the story of what our kids and our teachers across the state can do. And until we all collectively start to make some movement here, we're just going to keep reacting to what our legislators are going to continue to do to us because there's big money being put in their pockets to monetize this system even further than we already have. And at the end of the day, kids are the ones that lose, and we're going to lose phenomenal teachers from the system because it's going to be so rigid. But that's happening because we haven't owned the conversation. We've let it happen to us. And i sorry I got on my soapbox right there a little bit, but I, I mean, we, just, we have so many tools at our disposal that if we're using them to tell the story of our students and to tell the story of what our classrooms look like, we could change the narrative. We really could, but it's not going to, it doesn't happen you know, one little person at a time, we've really got to get some energy and some synergy behind it. Yeah, you know, and that, that's interesting, because I was going to actually ask you, so with the teacher evaluation being tied to assessment data, if if we're pushing for a different assessment system, what is Hamilton doing to still fulfill the requirements by the state, and yet look different, and maybe shift the way that that's going? You know, we're, we're jumping through the hoops the way that we have to, um, you know, but we're looking at the growth goals. We just, there was, you know, my principals were working with our curriculum director just this morning about their growth goals, right? And so they were like, well, this is too much. This is too much. At the end of the day, if we change the conversation of assessment from being a thing that we do to just being a part of what we do, right? So it's not an event. Assessment isn't an event. We are always assessing all the time. And so we're trying to take a look at 
how are we representing that? So it's a big thing for us has been our transition to standards-based grading. Um, and it's a lot of work and it's heavy lifting. And I love my teachers for the fact that they're, 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 we're doing this. But we're separating out behaviors from that content knowledge. We're talking about skills. But when we talk about standards-based grading, we're giving kids a score in relationship to a standard multiple times. And so kids, we can start to show growth. We can start to see which kids, hey, I'll back here. You know what? We just introduced this to you. You should be a one. This is a value-added model, not a deficit model. You know, the 100-point scale is all deficit-based. Every time you mess something, you go backwards, right? And all we do is tell you all, we focus on all the things that you didn't do right versus let's flip it and say standards-based model says, hey, this is the standard we want kids to learn. They're starting at knowing very little. Okay, that's that's okay. Let's let's show that you know with with a number, and then as they grow and get better, the numbers continue to get better, and then we can say, hey, over time, the more you were exposed, the more you practiced, the more you worked at this, the better your understanding and application became. And in that model, I really think that's that's it's going to be an easy way for us to show growth in a system that's an ongoing way. If, and if we're pushing our kids to application in this, in this new model that we're using, and it's, we've had kids push back, like, I just want to do school, Mr. Like, I just like this, yeah, I'm getting an A. I'm still getting an A, but it's harder. And I go, yes, 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 it should be harder, right? The, the goal is not to make this easier. The struggle and the grit you develop through this process will serve you well for the rest of your life. It shouldn't be easy to play school, check the boxes and get A. I can't, you shouldn't be able to bring in extra credit. You know, if that's, if that extra credit for what? So you did something completely unassociated with the standard you're struggling with. And now all of a sudden we're saying that you, that you have mastery of something because you did something outside of what we were trying to get you to do. That, that model is just backwards. And so we're really trying to frame this from that value add and always showing growth. So it's always positive looking. Um, and I, and I, I think that the better we get at this, the easier it's going to be for us to demonstrate um, that growth and, and the accountability. And, and I've, I've long argued the test, the score on a, a standardized test, when we are working with our kids so that they can, they can self-assess and reflect on what they can and can't do, they'll do fine on a standardized test. That, that, that's lower level than the stuff that we're teaching them to do and think here. So we really believe that um, we'll have a model that we can, you know, I'm, I'll use the word push back against the state with that says, okay, this is what you want. You really want us to be able to show growth with student learning and, and teacher growth. Here's how we're showing that. Come on in. We're an open book. You want to ask questions? You want to press on it? We're not quite there yet. That's where I hope for us to get. Um, you know, I've said to my teachers from day one, I, as soon as we put together a balanced assessment plan, I will stand on the mountaintop and sing your praises and I will fight for this. I'll take it to MDE. I'll take it to any legislator that wants to sit and talk, look at it. I will, we will, we will be ready to do that. And I think we're, we're, on, we're, we're still like a year or two away from being able to do that. Um, because it's a process and I can't expect my teachers to change and do this overnight. You know, this is, it's not something you just flip a switch. Um, and it's hard work and, and, you know, they're, they're dealing with the pressure of that high stakes evaluation. We're trying to, you know, I keep telling them, I can tell them until I'm blue in the face to relax and not worry about it. But at the end of the day, the legislature is still out there beating us with it. 
uh, and the public as a whole, you know, not maybe Hamilton, the community of Hamilton, but, you know, if you watch any news media, anywhere, any, it's all negative, negative, negative. Um, we just got to, we've got to switch that. So we're doing what we can. I hope to have another model that we can take, you know, I, I'm willing to, to put together and ask for a waiver from MDE, you know, to allow us, you know, ESSA, ESSA and, you know, that, the, the new uh, regulations and guidelines that come with that, you know, that's the, that's the biggest return shift of power, um, that we've ever, ever seen. Um, in public education, you know, and so I think there's there are opportunities for us to to do things that we didn't think we could do before. Um, you know, we have to, I'm not even as well versed as I want to be there, but we're going to start putting some of that stuff together and then go advocate for our teachers in a different way. Um, and we're working on dialing that system in. That sounds like a very interesting system. I'm uh, pretty curious to see how that plays out for you. Yeah, so so are we. So are we. I mean, we're we're getting there. Now, when you talk standard-based grading, so are you aiming towards mastery? So you're doing assessments for mastery? We're actually from we're for application. Okay. So you know, I can say okay, I've I'm I've mastered mastery application. I, I like application because application means that if you took if I took this content and this learning outside of the context that you put it into me in this setup situation, I could go somewhere else and apply it. I don't have to have everything. I've figured out that I need this and I need this and I need this. And when I put them together, I can solve and get this, right? That's that piece. That's that ownership piece. I, I say all the time, it's content content plus skills delivered in context. Then that gives ownership and application to the student. So we're really trying to get to that. Um, you know, it's, it's above, it's above and beyond what is explicitly taught. Kids have to be able to infer here's, I, I take this with that I learned and I'm going to go, I can go put it over here. Um, and that's been, that's been the hardest part of this transition. Um, you know, but big picture the hopefully the goal, you know, the long-term goal is to get to competency. And so then we can get to a, a competency based system that allows kids to then move. We can change time. You know, if kids can, they can accelerate through something faster. If, if, you know, they need a little bit more time developmentally, they're given a little bit more time. So we're really trying to, that's where I really would like for us to go. And I think there's some districts across the state that are doing that well. I know there's some states in the country that are also, you know, doing that well. Um, but it's all forward looking toward that. Um, but you got to build a foundation. Um, and the first part of that is, is, you know, getting rid of some of our bad grading habits, um, and some things that we use to kind of punish kids that were that were really focused on. Were you accountable? You know, did you meet timelines? Did you okay? A lot of that was, you know, gets in the way of what a kid really can do. Uh, and it's not that we don't need to teach that because we do. We need to teach cooperation. We need to teach, you know, the ethical citizenship, global thinking. We need to we need to teach kids the importance of being on time, of being respectful, of all of those things. But if we're going to do that, we have to we have to teach that skill set too. You can't lump that skill set and content all in together into one and then give a single score and say, well, then I go, which one is it? Do you know the content or can you manifest the skill? You know, those are we have to kind of talk about those things differently. That's definitely a shift. So, how are you? If you were to advise another superintendent or other administrators, sorry, I'm getting some weird feedback. Um, how would you advise they approach their school board or constituents to kind of sell this idea? 
You know, I think that I think there's a lot of learning for everybody, and that's been the part. We, you know, we did a couple community forums. There was some pushback early on. It, it didn't look like the school that they were used to. You know, how's my kid going to still get an A? This is harder. They're not going to get a scholarship. So, you know, we're still like, if I was to do it again, I would, I would hold a lot more forums up front. I would build uh, a case for the why. I'd help develop empathy with the board and the community members for why the current system doesn't really meet the needs of kids. Um, we would have, we would have been a little bit more intentional. You know, I, the way we did it here was I inherited a one page strategic or one page school improvement plan. And in it was the use of data, getting better at assessment, um, looking at grading. So like all of the things that they had been working on from 10 years ago, I just walked in and I went, man, you guys have all the makings of a standard grace based model. The, you know, where I stubbed my toe was we moved it probably a little bit faster than we should have without having some of that bigger picture community conversation. We kind of did that in a reactive way instead of a proactive way. So if I could go back and do it again, I'd be more proactive. Um, I kind of, I kind of read the markers and said, man, this, we got to go this way. Um, and I had a, uh, a middle school staff and a staff meeting at the end of one year that said, just draw the line in the sand. Just tell us we're going. Just tell us. <laughs> we get it. We're there. But we're going to, if you know, we'll kick the can down the road a little farther if you let us. So just draw the line in the sand. So we did. I got some pushback for that. Um, but we're, 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 I mean, it's a work in progress. But, we, you know, we're, we're, it's all based off of really good, solid research. You know, I mean, the number one driver for this is you look at John Hattie's work, right? The, and the, the number one high yield strategy is of, of, that, uh, that far outranks all of the rest of them is a student's ability to self-assess. You cannot self-assess if the kid doesn't know what the target is and uh, what, what each level of getting to that target looks like. You know, that has to be explicitly clear to them so that they have you can't just self-assess against nothing. You have to show them that, which is the other part of that old model of, hey, we just covered chapter one. Here's a study guide with 800 things on it. I hope you study the right 10 and I'm going to magically pull those things out from behind when you have the test. Like at the end of the day, if what's wrong, if you want them to know X, then show them you want to know X and teach them how to get there. This isn't a mystery game. You know, we should be very explicit about that. So standards-based grading is, is, is you know, where we are in relationship to that. We want our kids to be able to self-assess. Here's what we want you to be able to do. You tell me where you are and where you think you are in relationship to that. Um, and, we'll, and, we'll, and if you're not there, we'll help you get there. And, you know, that opens up on it. I mean, if we can teach kids to self-reflect, that's a skill set that forever and ever and ever. I wish I'd have learned a lot earlier would have saved me a lot of fights with my wife probably. You know, I would have been able to sit back and go, hey, dummy, you did that wrong. Jeez, oh, Pete's, you know. <laughs> but you know, I, I learned that reflection piece later in life. Yeah, well, it's it's really hard to believe, but we've almost been talking an entire hour. Whoa. That I know, was, right? That was quick. Well, it, you had such good points. It's You kind of go on. I think we're going to have to have you back again for another episode. Well, I'd be happy to if there's other specific stuff that, that would help teachers and administrators or anybody out there um you know that's my my number one thing that's what i love about doing this is just the ability to help and connect i don't have all the answers um 
I work with some really great smart people and I'm able to kind of connect some dots and put things in, in the right places. And um, I think I've been blessed with the ability to kind of say some things in a way that take all of the good things that I've gotten from other people and hopefully make it make sense. Um, because none of this is original. None of this is Dave Tebow stuff. I didn't sit up at night and, you know, come up with all this stuff. It's just a, it's a conglomerate of all the learning that I've done and the great people that are around me. So, uh, and I don't have a hard time talking. I mean, that's never been a weakness of mine. So, <laughs> Awesome. So uh, let's leave it off on one note. What is your next vision for what technology integration is going to look like? You kind of alluded to it a little bit, but if it were to be the 30-second synopsis, tech integration in the future will look like? Tech integration is seamless. It's device agnostic. It allows students to demonstrate their application, mastery and application of, of content and skills in a way that is balanced and truly shows all of what they can and can't do, allowing us to help them reach their potential. And on that note, that's an incredible soundbite. So thanks, Dave, for the conversation. I hope things go well with the rest of your school year. And uh, we'll see if we need to get you back here to have some more conversation. Now, if anybody wants to get in touch with you to ask more questions, how could they do that? Sure. Uh, you can reach out to me on Twitter, at uh, Tebow Tweets. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn. Uh, my email address is dtebow, T-E-B-O, at hamiltonschools.us. Um, phone number here in the office, 269-751-5148. Um, if you can't get me in one of those four ways, I'm probably uh, off the grid for a little while. So, um, And that doesn't happen very often. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Are there any other shout-outs you want to give while we have this opportunity? I, you know, I just want to, I want to thank my, my administrative staff. I want to thank all the teachers of Hamilton for, uh, you know, for sticking with us and, and not that everybody believes or buys in all the time, but that, you know what, they keep, they do it with a smile on their face and their heads up. Um, and to all those teachers out there, I, at the end of the day, um, we could look at this as it's, it's the, the worst of times in education. I, I, you know, I'm going to tell it to you, it's the best of times, right? Um, I, it, this can be what we make it. And um, it's a, it's, it can be a thankless job. I want to say thank you to every teacher out there teaching, every administrator, you know, supporting teachers, um, because this is the time for us to take this profession back. So I want to thank everybody out there doing a good work. Um, especially those here in Hamilton that uh, they have to put up with me. So thank you to all of, to everybody else out there that's doing this work. Well, thanks, Dave, for your time. We really appreciate it. Anytime. We'd like to thank our guest, Dave Tebow, for his help with our podcast today. Again, just use his contact information to reach out to him if you have any questions, comments, or anything you want to contribute to continue the conversation. I'm John Phillips. I've been your host for Be Reese Tech Talks today. Please feel free to follow us on iTunes, subscribe, subscribe, so you get all the newest episodes, and we'll talk to you next time.